Mike asked me to take a pause there for a second to get started. So, um, I'm going to say up front that I'm not the best one to give this message, but I do believe in the message. I think there are things we're going to talk about today are things we all need to consider very seriously. So, in the interest of that, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Most of our scriptures today is going to be from the New American Standard Bible, if you're following along. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When I studied the book of Ephesians, it was one of those aha moments for me that convinced me of the need for evangelists. And it's, you're pretty blind if you don't see since Andy has come to work among us that we have grown spiritually as well as numerically. It has been a help. We have been talking about the need for shepherds. I will admit that the how and the advantages are somewhat theoretical to me because I've never been a part of a work that had them. One of the reasons I haven't talked a lot about it is because those that have, I've been listening to them. One thing is pretty sure, they're pretty sparse in the kingdom today. There are a lot of churches that go for years and go for generations and never achieve that. Questions that we can have with it is why? And part of that is what I want to talk a little bit about today. Um, you know, Paul sent Titus to Crete and he says, appoint them in every place. And I wonder sometimes what's the smallest churches ever went into because our reasoning at times is, well, we just didn't have enough people, we don't have enough of a talent pool, blah, blah, blah. But it was achieved. It was achieved consistently. We go, this time we're doing something wrong. You know, the definition of insanity is you, you keep doing the same thing and expect different results. Generation after generation. I don't know the history here. I know that at least one man that was a member here, went on to serve as an elder in another place. Why he wasn't here, I don't know. But I want to challenge us today to think about some of these things. What do we need to do different? Um, some of it is clear that we have to have goals to strive for, that you young people have to start thinking as Christians early. This is something that I need to build myself up to over time. thing is, is that we usually talk to the young men and say, that's got to be your goal. But we don't really talk to the young women, do we? And we may miss something there. A little bit of a sidecar, a note or two in our talking about it. Well, I'm going to talk to my sisters today. Because that's part of the equation in building the family and preparing. It's going to be the sisters there's a tendency among us that when we look at the Word of God and say, well, this is what God gave the man, this is what God gave the woman, 
that we say, you know, we, we, we have this idea that says, I'll take my lumps, you take yours. And that's a horrible attitude, I'm going to tell you. Because if we understand that what God gives us builds us up and makes us better, then it's not taking lumps. It is giving us our purpose. It's giving us our place in life. What we're designed for. And I would say we need to look, look at that. What part of what God gives us isn't for our benefit. Genesis chapter 12 began a theme We've talked about this before where God came to man and said, I want to be your God. I want you to be mine. That theme is one of the major themes through Scripture that comes down for it. To us, through Scripture, let me ask you this. What part of that is not to our benefit? To be a part of God's people in the way we're supposed to be. James 1.17 tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variations or shadow due to change. So I would ask you, is what God gives us arbitrary? Knowledge is what keeps us from many harms. If we consider what kind of insanity is happening in our society today, it's really not hard to see. God shows us a better way it makes our, the way to make a family strong, the way to make a society strong, the way to make a church strong. For men, if you're a man, what God gives you is for your good. As a husband, what God gives you is good for your good and for your wife's good. What God gives you as a father is for your good and for your children's good. Same thing is true of women. And as a Christian, what God gives me is for my good and for the good of my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the same thing with the, with the, with the woman, that what God gives you is for your good. And as a wife, what God gives you is good for your husband. What, gives, what he gives you as a mother is what's good for all of those and your children. And as a woman, as a Christian, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we look at these things, never look at it as I'll take my lump, you take yours. Look at it as what is for my good. You know, it's, it's fair to ask the question, do we trust what God gives us? Because what society is telling us is lies. I'm going to tell you, when society tells you, young ladies, that being different, that there's no difference between the sexes and that true equality is being the same. That's a lie. You're not designed to be the same. You're designed to be different. Your purpose is different. It degrades us if we don't understand that. Uh, that true equality is an equal worth, but it doesn't mean we're exactly the same as people. There's different roles that we have, and if we do not, you know, they, they tell you, if you have a different role, that's demeaning to you. And if you buy it, you will end up being demeaned in your life because you're trying to fit in a place where you're not designed for. In Genesis chapter 2, when we look at that, what we see is God says it's not good for man to be alone. He designed for him a helper that was suitable for him. Different a different role, 
for a purpose. In Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. You know, sometimes we look at that, and I, I think it might slip through our mind. It says, well, he made man in his image. Uh, <laughs> when Jacob first came to us, Mark and I were sitting up in Panera's having a Bible study, and I said, covering this, I said, Mark doesn't look like me. Which one of us has made an image of God? And Mark, just for a flash across Mark's face, it was like, where's this going? <laughs> and the point is, it's not how we look. Well, let me ask you, when you read this passage, do you see that God isn't saying he made man in his image? He's saying he made mankind in his image. That the woman is made in the image of God the same as man. And we need to take that into consideration when we look at what he gives us. If God, the Word, and I'm pulling from the language of John chapter 1, if the Word became flesh and became a son and... and ultimately subjected his self to the will of God the Father, and it did not diminish his deity. Let me ask you, ladies, if you subject your will to your husband, does that diminish you in any way as a person in your value? We don't fill our roles. We lower our value. And Satan's deception takes us in the opposite direction. Well, here's what God gave us on it. The wife. This is in the context of talking about elders and deacons. And in the part of the deacon, he talks, he gets pretty specific. Now, we could take that and we could say, because he didn't say that with elders, you know, that's just a deacon's wife. That would be illogical, wouldn't it? I mean, we're going to say that the deacon's wife has to be this upstanding sister, but the elder's wife can be the town gossip, the town lust. She can be the drunk. She can be whatever. He's given the same kind of idea that, that he is in control of his family, and he goes into detail once about the wife it's just going to be upstanding in a lot of ways. Let me put it this another way. All Christian women should seek to be this. That should be a goal in your life. Indirectly. If you if you consider what this means, indirectly that becomes a qualification for her husband that the wife can disqualify her husband if she's not what she needs to be. So, there's reasons for it. He needs a stable environment at home. The children need a stable environment. Is there possibilities that she may know things about what's going on in the congregation that other people don't know? He's got, if he's wise... He's going to be bouncing ideas off of her. How do I handle this situation with a sister? What's she thinking like from a woman's perspective? Talk things over with her. It is important, it is imperative that she is this kind of person. 
She's either going to help him or she's going to impede him in his work. That's the bottom line. She's to be grave, the King James Version says, reverent. The New King James said, dignified, New American Standard and ESV. It suggests a person that is prudent. She's dignified. She's of sound judgment. It implies a seriousness when a seriousness is warranted, when it's needed. She can't be this slanderer. Vines, who gives a pretty good expository dictionary of the New Testament words, says accusing because a slanderer, one who is accusing falsely, references directly this verse <clears throat> in 1 Timothy. It says where the references to those who are given to finding fault with the demeanor and contact of others and spreading their innuendos and criticisms of the church. So if she is stirring things up, it's not helping the body, and it's definitely not helping her husband and where they need to be. She's going to know things that others don't know. And, you know, if you think about it, she can turn the congregation completely upside down if she's not doing the, what she needs to be doing. Sober or temperate or sober-minded. That's an approach to life that is discreet, chaste, moderate, in control of oneself, able to curb their appetites and their impulses. The exact same qualifications is, is what's required of the husband. What Paul told Timothy and what Paul told Titus as far as the elders go. She must be faithful in all things. And that's a consistent rendering in, a, in the English translations that I could find. You know, that's pretty broad-ranging. That's to the Lord. That's to her husband. That's in her worship, in her life, her sincerity. You know, think about that and remember it because we're going to revisit that concept. She is a necessary part of the equation. That's why God gave it this way. It's not just him. It's the unit of him and her that we've got to consider. You know, it's helper, suitable for him. What happens when he's dealing with difficult issues? Can she understand his stress? And help him with that? Is she behind him or is she impeding him? You know, even the very basics of it, if he is to be hospitable, I can't even imagine what it would be like if his wife wasn't on board with it. How could he be hospitable, bring people into the home? It would not make sense. Titus 2.3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Because of the reason, by reason of age, you know, an elder is going to be an older man, and he's likely to have a wife that is older too. A couple, a couple with a goal of service like this is part of it. She doesn't wake up one day and say, wow, that's me, if she doesn't work on it when she's young. So I'm talking to those that are unmarried, and I'm talking to those that are young and starting families, and I'm talking to those that are up to bat, so to speak. 
And also through the older women, if we're seeing there's a pattern here that says the older women are to teach the younger women. That's why we all need to be paying attention to what God says to us on this matter. What about the chapter everybody's afraid of? 1 Corinthians 11. We're afraid of it because we don't understand the basics of it. What the chapter is about is headship. How we acknowledge our head. Everybody has a head that ultimately leads to God. How did Christ acknowledge his headship? By submitting to the will of God, even to the point of a brutal death. This passage is one that I think is very underrated. I want you to think about a couple things with it. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. They observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on a fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do not, are not afraid with any terror. What that does is that speaks to the power a woman can wield in the family. I've seen women destroy their husband's faith completely. I've seen women that were true helpers. Where do you want to be in life? There's three possibilities that logically come to mind. She either willingly submits or he works to force her to submit. And apparently that's just not an issue in America because there are some cultures that allow, if she doesn't listen to me, I get to beat her. Try to force her into submission. The third possibility is there's no real submission. You see that she's holding that in her hand to a great extent. The specifics of the passage are basically she's a believer and he is not. It may be that she learned the gospel after they're married, but he doesn't want to hear the word. There's the, the, the wording of this. He's not paying attention to her religion. He's not paying attention to the word of God. But she's got power there. The dynamics in any relationship are a combination of both of their personalities, the situation they're in, and something of the culture they're in. She may be the type that when she gets upset, she just quits talking. Or she may be the type that gets in his face. Neither one of those are very smart. She might just ignore things that he says that she doesn't like. If he's not used to being listened to, he's not going to think real carefully about what he says. It's just what is what I think about. It doesn't matter because she's either going to do it or not. But now she's a believer. What he sees is the struggle within her. It's not aimed at him. She learns Submission. Instead of having a biting tongue, she bites her tongue. And the way she shows a deference to him now. And the only time she says no is when it has to do with her relationship with God and with her brethren. 
It's not, uh, if she disagrees, she communicates in a respectful manner. Truth is, men talk. And in the blue-collar world, more than the white-collar world, you hear people talk about their wives all the time. And they're usually dissing them, you know, all these complaints. But what he's going to notice is by the way she's behaving herself, his life is getting better. And that can be powerful enough in his life to say, what is changing her? I can look at that. He will not be saved without the word, without a word, without, she's not twisting his arm, but she's influencing him. If you can see that, <clears throat> may be won by the conduct of their wives. That's a powerful statement. How powerful can it be in helping a man preparing to be a shepherd of God's people? If you are that kind of wife. She really learns to submit. She hands him a powerful position in the family. And he will have to grow into it. That what he says is going to go. Here's the thing. <clears throat> if he's smart, he's going to consult his wife. They're going to talk over things. They're going to try to come to a consensus. But if they don't agree, there's got to be a chief and there's got to be an Indian. We can't all be chiefs. So how does she handle it? Um, you know, she's got to be able to hand him that. First Peter 3, 7. You husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. So, women look at it like I'm taking my lumps because when God says submit... He gives me something hard. I want to tell you something. This is hard for us. You're a puzzle to us. Sometimes you're a moving target. What was right to say and do yesterday isn't the right thing to say and do today. God gives us our roles. And we need to grow to it. Leading isn't barking orders and expecting everyone to jump. It's not being arbitrary. If he's wise, he's making clear what he expects. And the way he treats her is in a way that makes it as easy to do as possible. As he's leading, she's got to be able to see he's got my best interest at heart. Along with that, Ephesians chapter 5. Nevertheless, let in each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. If he does his part, he makes that easier for her. Uh, read an illustration one time. A fellow was at, at a house with a family, and the, the husband and father comes in. Very ordinary man. Nothing stood out about him. He hadn't done fantastic things in society. He wasn't something that stood out. He was just an ordinary fellow. But the way the wife showed a deference to him and showed a respect to him influenced the children to look at him the same way and respect. Made me think about it. A lot of times we like in our culture to joke, you know, dad is just a kid. And sometimes we're not serious when we need to be serious within the family. Husbands and wives are both guilty of this kind of thing, by the way. What happens 
when she's handed him this, he makes the decision and it goes awry. She can, <laughs> I told you, she can snipe at him with the kids or she can look at him and say, you know, all we can do is learn and go on. What is showing the respect she's supposed to? This is where the rubber meets the road. Yet another. Same God Old Testament as New Testament. Who can find a virtuous life? And the, the literal of that is a wife of valor in the sense of all forms of excellence. I want to look at her heart. He, his heart is trustly. Trust safely in her. At the 10,000-foot level, there's a lot of men in our society that look at their kids and say, I'm not real sure that all those are mine. That's horrible. At the level of Christians, where we should be, it's a trust at every level. That her behavior is the same when he's not there as when he is. That what he, she's doing with the kids when he's not there is the same as when he is. It isn't the kind of thing that says, Daddy said not to do this, just don't tell him. It isn't saying, you know, I'd let you do it, but Dad said you can't. It's a united front as parents. Well, we discuss it together and present it as an agreement. If she doesn't show fidelity, it's going to undermine her husband's work. You see the pattern here? It's similar to marriage, but if both aren't invested in this, it's not going to work well. If we, men and women, don't gain focus, we'll continue the cycle that doesn't produce shepherds. And that's why I'm talking about it today. Many of us have failed in our generation. You're the generations that are coming. Prepare. Determine to do it. Even if we succeed at this time, there's going to be a limited time as the older die off and the new come. One generation goes, another generation comes, but the earth remains forever, the psalmist said. Where are we going with our families? Do we trust God's wisdom? You're working together as a family, giving clear lessons for the children, that there's a united front. Every, every family experiences this. One parent says no, and the other parent, they, the kid runs to the other parent and says, doesn't tell him, Dad said no. Can I? May The united front where dad's to be respected, mom's to be respected, God is to be respected. And as they're growing up, there's lessons that you need to teach them. You know, Bible study isn't just for when there are no school functions or there are no sporting events or there's no plays or concerts. There's nothing else to... If there's absolutely nothing else going on, you know, kids get to an age and they get a little job flipping burgers or something? Are we, are we going to teach them that Bible study is more important than that? This isn't keeping body and soul together that you're flipping burgers. <laughs> are we giving them mixed signals? 
are called the children of God. We need to be that in our lives. This isn't all-encompassing. It's just some ideas that I hope my sisters take seriously. I am thankful that I'm in a free country as much as possible, that we're blessed to be Americans as it is. But I'm going to tell you, American culture doesn't teach this. We need to have a Christian culture in our lives and in our families. Success or failure depends on the details. So, I encourage you, while you're young, determined to prepare for the work that God has given us. Thank you for your time.